0: This is John, John Stepling, Stepling, Aesthetic Resistance. With me is Guy Zimmerman. Uh, Guy is in Los Angeles, and I am all the way in Norway. And um, happy, we will sort happy of pick up, I think, a little bit where, where we left off at the round table. So, Guy, why don't you say something?
1: Well, I think what,
0: what you had... Said uh, you wanted to talk
1: about was how, how one starts a play. At least that was one topic yeah. considering. Yeah. Uh, which well, I thought. I think, yeah.
0: No, go ahead.
1: Um, well, that's what I've been. You know, that's what I've been sort of pondering. It was sort of very. It's a very rich uh, question. I thought. Um, so, but I'm willing to talk about anything. No, no. I think that's
0: good. And and I I, I it is it is a. It is an incredibly complicated question and and I thought of it um, when I I was having a conversation with somebody about not just writing plays and where do scenes begin and usual kind of dramaturgical um, questions, notes you get, but more about, um, about kind of origins of of the work itself, what you know, where you think the play begins. Sure, okay, where the where where the scene begins, but in another sense, where you think um, the theater that you are involved with, the 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 theater in which this play will exist, um, in a sense, where does that begin? Where does this question of um, of beginnings, you know, the the is that relevant at all? Because I feel like we're we're so trapped in this strange um, you know it's, the it's, technology it's really, of representation and, and and also just yeah just um questions about um, about commodity and career and all those things that, that go with it but Maybe I'll yeah, stop right I, here. I think
1: these are, well, these are just, these are, you know, it's, it's very much a nested issue of, you know, in some ways the hallmark of the kind of theater I think that you and I are 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 drawn to and that, you know, we've both to different degrees practiced has to do with um, the, the potential in theater for, you know, an authentic beginning and so I, I, I you know, that open space kind of uh, aspect of it where um, I was drawn to the question of, you know, the first line of a play that then generates itself or bootstraps itself up out of um, nothing really in a sense, and that 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 action is what it is that's so intriguing about the art form, you know, that you can strike a first note and then draw something into an existence that isn't just on paper, but is actually three-dimensional in space, in a body, involving relations, all of that, you know.
0: Well, I think that the, the, This was a question, actually, that came up in, in the blog post, because I was, I was reading an, an older essay of Jonathan Beller's, actually, and, and he's dense and very difficult, uh, but he's interested in the ways in which, I think, as he put it, the secret history of media's and technologies penetrates what we do, what we think, what our unconscious is. I mean, he sees it almost as the unconscious of the unconscious, um, and and there is that, he borrows Lacan, in a sense, and a lot of people don't like that he did that, but he says, you know, it's the fading subject, and, um, And it may be a slight misreading of Lacan, but but the point was that there is, in a culture that is so acutely narcissistic, this sense that people don't know their own voice, don't trust their own voice, oh, I'm fake. I think if you talk to any analyst, they'll tell you that they have countless clients who talk about feelings of inauthenticity and so forth. Imposter syndrome, yeah. How that relates to to you know theater practices is, is another is another question. But that's that's kind of what got me pondering all of this because I thought, well, um, go ahead, yeah. No, I, I, I think about. I mean, I think about your
1: plays in particular. I've, uh, i you know, it's it's always this thing where you have a subject on stage, but you also, you know, in a sense you, which you also have a body on stage. And so, you know, it's funny you mentioned Lacan and I was thinking about Lacan too. And I was thinking about, you know, the the subject as, as an entity constituted in language according to Lacan. And that, you know, what you have in the theater is you have that subject, but you also have this body on stage in space. And the body has a different story to tell. You know, it's not, the body is not fully bounded by the subject in a, in a strange way. And so, you know, to me, that's sort of the hallmark of this kind of post beckettian sort of approach to writing for the stage is that, you know, you, you're, you're investigating that strange uh, tension between the subject and the embodied actor, you know, who uh, is is creating that subject, if you know what I mean, in space.
0: Right, right. Well, that, and and that's what, that's what makes theater more disruptive, I suppose, than than film ultimately, um, is because there is this additional level of tension. But I think, I think the other part of this, I mean, and perhaps even the most significant part of it is we We live in a culture now, and I hate to always sort of go off on on these tangents, but we live in a culture in which um, work for theater certainly that comes out of m f a programs or wherever that is that is developed in a dramaturgical process within big institutional theaters that that this is work that has now um Attached itself pretty, pretty seamlessly and and um, comfortably within the guidelines of those institutions of of culture. They, um, it's it's not even conscious. It's just this is the language that is used. This is the characters are based on on the parameters for identity as they are laid out in in the culture at large <clears throat> and we live in a culture in a society in which the the definitions for identity for knowing yourself are very strange i i went to buy actually to buy the microphone i'm using for this podcast the other day and i had reserved it at this little place and this is in norway mind you and i got to the nice uh, you're holding a mic for Stepling. And he said, what's your phone number? I said, geez, you know, I just got this phone and I hardly remember, but just look up Stepling. No, we don't do anything by name. <laughs> and I thought, so I, my number is now my telephone number. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he said, yes, you know, so, so, and I think of like the homeless and those living the most, you know, lives of precarity and, and that, that one of the first things they are going to have to get to reintegrate themselves into society is going to be a cell phone you know um and be given a number and and this takes us all the way to you know coronavirus and all sorts of things the the recent invention of the passport and everything but you know when you look at it in terms of of the material that takes place on stage one of the problems one of the reasons i feel so suffocated and and um constricted, emotionally constricted as I watch most of the theater that takes place at, at mainstream flagship theaters, um, is that these are characters who, who to me are not really characters. They're sort of second generation dupes of something. And um and they are created by, by a series of apparatuses that, that define yeah, right. your presence, I mean, you know? You know the, 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 the
1: open, you know, the open bare stage implicitly asks a set of questions that most of these plays instantly want to cover up and um, push to the margins and eliminate as if the you know the the, the whole enterprise involves uh, the very opposite of what the open stages actually actually invites, which is this kind of open inquiry that dissolves the foundations of identities in general i mean isn't that you know that's sort of the tragic that's true all the way back you know to the Greeks, I think is that you know that's the inquiry that's that's what the stage offers and so it's this strange kind of i think it's what you and i used to call the placebo effect which is right right you know, how quickly well, can we make this disappear how quickly can we cover this in you know it's a strange it's a well strange.
0: you you actually have to work rather hard to 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 make those things disappear i mean they don't they don't just disappear of their you know on their own um, and it's interesting, because we've had this dialogue. You and I have had this dialogue for almost 30 years, I think. And, um, <laughs> you yeah. yeah, which is frightening. But but well, yeah. when I think back, apropos of this question of, you know, when does a play begin? When does your play begin? Um, because everything is a kind of auteur study anyway. Um, we We were talking all the way back then about many of the same issues that that there was um an encroachment on the the kind of radical dissenting anarchy that that was off off broadway and and that it was that was being domesticated by by these people who ran um regional theaters and funding organizations and 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 big um uh you know university theater programs and um, and that all of these people shared a kind of fear of losing control of their product um, or losing control of their brand. This was not as articulated back then. I mean, I, th- I think today, if you, if you talk to people who ran big programs um, in academia, they would admit that they're, you know, they have to care about their brand. I don't think that happened so much 30, 40 years ago. Um, so, so one of the things that I've seen happen with a lot of the people that let's say we knew 30 years ago is that there is a, there is a, I mean, the attrition rate is very high for, for American artists anyway. Uh, people, you, the people I know that were trying to write a different kind of theater, most of them gave up. I think. And they they participate in a kind of as if it's a hobby now or something. Because they certainly can't make a living at it. And and but the work suffers. And this brings me to the second part of what I wanted to touch on today. And that is um, and what, what my blog post was about, but but also we we talked about it a little in the last podcast the idea that people sometimes think of the artistic process, the creative process from doing a play as just sitting down and writing this play that's mine. And, and, you know, it's going to be all about, somehow it's going to be all about me. And, and, uh, and I will get, you know, praised or attacked or something when this play gets up and, and, uh, and if it fails miserably i 'm going to write another play and go through this whole process again as quickly as I can because because that feeds a sense of you know secondary gratification in me, and I need that because my ego needs it and blah 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 um, and i'm i 'm making this case for a kind of withholding that that the artists have to stop compulsively doing work that's kind of insufficient um is not their best work and that it it's my it's my plea to stop the compulsive part of of um of art making because i think partly it leads to this hobby effect uh where where it it's not serious finally i mean i see this in poetry circles and i see it in um fine arts maybe to a s- certainly slightly lesser degree but um i see it in in uh pretty much every medium i can think of a, a kind of frenzy to just get your work out there as as the first step in building your personal so, brand
1: yeah a brand i mean this is all i mean right i mean you, you you know you could file this away in in the social critique of neoliberalism which is you know the dominant uh cultural mode that we're all operating in and it's completely insidious and you can you know you 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 know and somewhere back in the 1980s we all started to kind of ingest this cultural toxin that has kind of closed out all uh, modes of expression that aren't consistent with that idea of maximizing your brand of competing in the marketplace, all the institutions that supported that kind of non, you know, a non-competitive social engagement have been kind of pushed to the margins. And, you know, they've, I've seen theater after theater kind of succumb, but I, I, you know, and close really. And then, you know, the audience has also become uh, completely, I mean, you know this issue of what happens when somebody walks into a theater and sits down and is confronted with something that doesn't operate according to that grid of values. There's a real, there's a moment of shock. I think, I think I begin, I'm eternally optimistic about this and I'm constantly <laughs> looking in LA theater for little signs of a return to what, you know, the kind of uh, ferment in the Lower East Side that really produced a lot of the great LA theater that 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 was here when I arrived in the in the early the late '80s, early '90s. You know, John, I have your I have some of your plays right here. I just want to read. The, you know it's one of these lines, the first line of uh, of standard of the breed, which is just this. It goes, "It's those birds." That's <laughs> the line, and to me for that to be the first line of a play is, all, and I know, because I know the play, that the rest of the play is gonna be in a way an investigation of that first line. Right. Do you, do you know what I mean? And it's, and like Yeah, that's, no, that's one- That's enough, you know, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that you as a playwright back then were in a situation where you could say, okay, I'm gonna stay true to the impulse under this one line and i'm going to sketch out the world that it entails and that's what i that's what my job is rather than i'm going to repackage some formula of you know how things are supposed to be according to a set of values <laughs> that i'm looking at from the outside you know and that i'm representing well,
0: well you know what's fascinating about that is that um you know i I remember where that line came from i don 't often <laughs> or don 't always anyway remember where things came from but i had been introduced to fukasi 's book on crows his <laughs> book of photographs on crows and he had his wife had i don 't know the whole story his wife had left him or she had died or something anyway he he developed a morbid obsession um uh, more, but maybe, but an obsession certainly about crows, ravens, and and he went out every day and took rolls and rolls of film, mostly black and white, of ravens, and the book has become um, justly famous and and is listed always in one of the great books of, of photographs. Anyway, um, that that was in there when I when I I think when I wrote that, but but it was more. Um, Probably also spending a lot of time in the desert, and the play is set in the desert. But see what happens is, I if if you are in a, a, a I hate to constantly be attacking MFA programs, but they represent something very dire. If you take that to a a dramaturg, if you go through that process of getting notes that scene. Um, would come out very much different because there's no way to really talk about that line. Not psychologically, not sociologically. No,
1: it's embedded. It's embedded in...
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's something it's embedded to in this
1: complex. It's embedded in this complex fabric of the writer's existence at that moment. And that's what, in a sense... You want to drag kicking and screaming onto stage through that one little, that one little opening that is that first line, and you're gonna try to bring as much of the complexity of where that, why that appeals to you onto stage. Right. You know, I have and another I have another line for you. Yeah. This is from one of my favorite pieces. This is uh Pinter's Ashes to Ashes, the late play. And the first line is. Rebecca's line and she says, well, for example, he would stand over me and clench his fist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I just know Pinter, you know, Pinter is just, it's just that trick of like, okay, this is the start of the play. I wrote this line. I don't know where it leads, but I'm going to follow it until I get to the end of whatever that is, you know, right. And I
0: have to but, end it. You know, I mean, it's yeah, like, I mean Again, but that's, yeah. yeah. Again, it's what you say. You know, we want to bring this kicking and dragging onto the stage. You can only do that um, if, if, and I've sort of said this many times before. You know, if you have no idea where the play is going, absolutely, you have to, to not know. To, yeah, yeah. There has to be an emotional, um, and and you know deep connection those impulse you have to i think as a writer trust whatever those impulses are because they they come from somewhere and this is this is the beginning this process of trust and and the voice that is there um again in a childlike infantile culture of narcissism people don't trust that voice because they don't know who they are they're constantly um, hyper-anxious about, you know, sense of realness and, well, and, in a sense, and authenticity, it, right. so so it's impossible to, you know, it's impossible to go there, and I think we increasingly live in a society that can't hear those lines. Here's well, those, it's, it's very you know, true,
1: right, because the playwright
0: who writes in this mode is saying
1: the natural condition is that we don't, in fact, know what we want or what we should want, and that's an invitation to be curious about something beneath identity, right? And so come come on and we're gonna all go down there and look and see what's down there. And now, to me, this begins really with, with Beckett and it's why Beckett moved from being a novelist to a playwright, which was an odd thing to do, but you know, it was very odd. But I, I think this, I think that it came from the impulse to investigate this issue of like embodiment, being a body in space, what he calls bêtise or this the sort of ignorance, the not knowing that's sort of linked to uh the animal self, you know, the animal. Mm-hmm. You know, not the not the not the self constituted in language alone, but in combination with that animal self that's going to die that was born that's full of of well
0: this is this is i mean you know i i i think increasingly this is a society that um in, in you know that disparages art and and beller was quoting i forget whom um maybe descartes actually but Others have said it along the way that Western society is demoting discourse. You know, the 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 increasingly uh, there is there is an inability uh, to to engage in complex discourse, but also um, there's less and less need to, and people are less and less able to do it. And and we talked about this at at the round table. So, so you're asking an audience today, if the, the first lights that Pinter play, or Standard of the Breed, or one of these plays that, you know, um, you are asking them to listen to something poetically, for lack of a better word. And, Absolutely. and they Absolutely. can't do it. They can't do it because they can't hear it. That's not there to be heard anymore. And um, uh, here's, I, here's, I was thinking of Joy- go ahead.
1: Here's Irene Fordes. This is Oscar and Bertha. the uh, Oscar and Berta. The first line is, Oscars. It's just, what is your name? <laughs> you know, just, I mean, it, if, you, if you know Irene, you know that that's gonna be an interesting Right. It'll lead to interesting terrain, you know.
0: Well, uh, I mean, I remember watching Irene um, every year come out to Padua and um, start, you know, um, assembling her posse of young female playwrights. And, and then she would um, go out into the, the, the local community searching for thrift stores, first of all. And she would always come back, that first, you know, chairs and rugs and lamps, some of which she used, many of which she did not. And that would generate the play. And it would generate the play. And that was the play. And it was a completely totemic magical process. I mean, it had no rational, you know, it wasn't, I want to write a play about the socioeconomic uh, divisions in San Dimas. I mean, she didn't care at all. It was her personal you know, mythopoetic, uh, uh, See, but therefore, in. right. But
1: precisely because of that reason, those plays still have value, and yeah. you know, they retain their value as art objects. You know, that need yeah. to be reperformed.
0: You know, no, absolutely, and I, th- I think that the trick is, I mean, and this was true of Irene because if it started in the solipsistic. You know, process of of her own incantatory, you know, uh, uh, processing of of you know the flotsam and jetsam of 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 Pomona and San Dimas, <laughs> and she would roam around <laughs> in this extraordinary heat. By the end, the real world had been drawn back into the play, you know, yeah. and it was no longer solipsistic and and and. You know, detached, it was very much about I mean her plays always became very much about and I say this in a in a really good way, very much about her own struggle to write the play I yeah mean, that that was sort of what what was happening, and maybe on some level, um, I think all great playwrights do that to some to some degree, because it's incredibly difficult. you know one of the one of the first things I learned, I think when I started writing for film and TV, was, oh, this is a really different process. This is a really different process. Because it 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 causes me great pain, literally, to write a play, you know, partly yeah, because I right. put a lot of pressure on myself, right. but but right. because inherently, if this doesn't mean anything, then for me, nothing much means anything. So there was a lot of weight. And with film and TV, nobody gives a fuck. I mean, you, nobody cares what you write. It's going to be changed probably anyway. Well, but nobody you know, knows what they're talking about. And sure, it's, but, it's,
1: but I, about having read your screenplays, I also know that, you know, I mean, it's a very interesting thing that because to an artist, the artwork itself is the most important thing, it's actually really a good sign when a play is about the process of writing a play, because that's the most meaningful thing to that person doing that. <laughs> And the same goes for you know having read you know your scripts or whatever that your screenplays are always about filmmaking in a sense or cinema anyway what it means to you know i was watching siad max the killers last night and i was just
0: beautiful film
1: film. how clean and intelligent that piece is you know and how so much of that sort of not this is sort of a tangent but just the you know the intelligence in that. I mean, I I um. When it, just to cut back to what you were saying before, this issue of how people are being constructed now by social media and how those, you know, those sort of algorithms are written to accentuate constantly these startle emotions that get us to react, and people make money on that. That's where the money is to trigger reactions. So we are, you know, are. All of us are being kind of, you know, our frontal cortex is being bypassed, <laughs> and our brain stems are constantly, you know, really being kind of uh, entrained into this mechanism of production, right? So that we, right. we are just our reac- our most, our, you know, most primitive reactivity. You know, I hate, I like, I hate. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, I- just these very basic things were being
0: reduced, you know, to these
1: constituent.
0: And I think it's probably, I mean, this is why Beller, and I I don't agree with all of sort of Beller's thinking, but I think he's kind of savant-like in a way. He often doesn't know what's brilliant about what he's saying. But for him, it goes even further than that, that. That, you know, the technologies that probably began with with the photograph, and that this, this came up during uh, a, a particularly acute imperialist phase, colonial phase, and that the development of the photograph was was you know inscripted in in the. Racialized theories of of you know European colonialism, and that you almost sure. can't sure. separate sure. that right. apparatus from from the history of um, the 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 history of those countries in which the technology was was developed most acutely, and so that becomes without going too far afield, that becomes. Um, um, a terrifying prospect when you when you by the time you get to cyberspace and the sort of new digital um, commons or whatever they are that that people are so habituated to this stuff and it's so sub rudimentary that, that um, and and the the openness with which people are manipulated and people have accepted I guess with because there's no recourse have accepted the idea that they are constantly being manipulated, that there's a constant coercive pressure applied to them. And they're you know psychologically buffeted by this stuff all the time and we just become inured to it. I mean we're 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 used to it and this is one of the things that, that I think I would like to see sort of forensically analyzed and broken down in in future workshops and, and theater efforts, whatever we do, because how that works hasn't there's I don't think there's been a language of poetics for that yet on stage. The closest is probably you know already quite a few decades back with Sarah Kane and and Hankey. I mean it's funny how um Caspar looms as a more and more yeah, important sure. play as, as time goes on. yeah. Uh, and Hanke um, and himself becomes more important I think. But yeah, so I, I think that, that um, you know, social media, this whole world in which we are all somehow caught up now, has to be, this is my, again, like writers to do less, do, do less differently than then, a compulsive need to create plays that whether you admit it or not are going to function as um commodities as brand signify or something you know that 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 somehow has to be let go of, and I'm not sure entirely what I'm saying, except that that restraint withholding uh is is something that happens in a lot of art forms in dance and music and and it needs to happen somehow in the the mental process of 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 playwrights at this point though i have no idea really finally what i'm suggesting other than that's my feeling about this stuff
1: so yeah it's 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 very intriguing i mean i one place i go right away cuz it's um, I mean, you're, to some extent, you're, you're, uh, you're asking for a withholding of consent to, you know, this huge monolithic um, apparatus of control and extraction, really. Um, right. But, right. but I, right. you know, and I think it's one of the interesting things about social media that I don't think is adequately appreciated is, you know, I always think about, um, Rene Girard in this context, and the the idea of you know that we fundamentally don't know what it is that we that we're supposed to want, and so we imitate other people. I remember um, uh, you know Peter Thiel, who's one of uh, you know this sort of anarchic right wing libertarian, right, who uh, yeah, billionaire because he he had studied with Girard at Stanford, and when. And when Mark Zuckerberg approached him to invest in Facebook, he looked at it and he said, you know, that is a triangular desire machine. And it is going to be phenomenally successful because it, it just activates all that sort of the dynamic of triangular desire of, of, I don't know what to, what I want and therefore I'm going to imitate you. And it's, it's just, uh so shocking what that has produced in a way like how quickly and if you know of course if you know something about Girard you know how how pessimistic he is in a lot of ways about where these things lead so it's, it's really a chilling kind of thing but i i keep coming back also to you know the way in which this sort of post beckettian approach to to theater really goes in the opposite direction in, a, in like this very coherent way. And I think it's very interesting the way that sort of became a popular movement in off-off in Broadway in New York under certain conditions. And then when those conditions changed, it sort of some part of it moved to Los Angeles and it continued to kind of flourish here for a little bit. And now it is very hard to do that anymore, but it still remains the thing to do. In, in opposition to or resisting this uh, this sort of apparatus, you know, that's otherwise extracting this stuff from us. I don't know. And I don't know where to go with that necessarily myself.
0: I'm confused about it. I don't know how to continue
1: to write plays. You know? Yeah,
0: I don't either. I don't either. And and this was part of the impetus to, to start having these dialogues and podcasts and, and workshops because... Um, because there ha- i i have a an unmistakable unshakable uh feeling of of not seeing something that's right in front of me i know it's there about about what has to happen with theater right now perhaps culture in general has to happen right now and and when i come back to los angeles and i I was just there, of course, for the first time in 10 years. But, but the last couple of times I've been there, uh, and I was in New York once in between that, but, but very briefly. But when I come to the West, I realize that this is home for me and that somehow the sounds and images and colors and smells of the West Western U.S. um, are what I'm always going to be at work with. That's that's those my materials, whether I like it or not, or or want to write Western plays. Somehow that's just there, and that's okay. And maybe that's as it should be with writers. But I don't know. The 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 frame, the context, the the ways in which one can actually make this stuff happen anymore, because the the resistance, the the the, the anti-cultural animosity, and the bureaucratization and institutionalization, those forces that shut down anything that is ambivalent or uncertain or uncanny or strange or unfamiliar they now they used to be distrustful and would avoid it now they shut it down now there's a kind of clamp down that um, that that runs alongside um, you know it's interesting it runs alongside the infantilization of the culture and it's interesting because I was just reading this book or maybe it was an essay I forget that, that it Brzezinski, Carter's advisor, arch-anti-communist right-winger, way back in 95, after the World Forum, wherever it was, uh, said people were asking questions about social unrest, massive social unrest. There's going to be so many unemployed people. And And he said, yes, well, what we need, and this is the term he used, is titty-tainment, meaning Stuff that would serve as like breast milk for infants, and he thought we don't need a vicious authoritarian clampdown. We just need to give them something like as if they were very young children to play with and and uh, distract them. And that's really what's happened. That's gone into you know hyperdrive now. Um, is is the infantilizing of everything so part of what you're up against is is that this is a culture that's very distrustful of, of seriousness and in they're distrustful of adulthood and um there's something that is seen as accusatory when you when you ask for things to be serious um and it's but it's very difficult to be serious right um because because people don't read, don't process seriousness. I mean, you can go into a room with a very serious kind of intent and say these things seriously, and people will think it's um, it's ironic or or sarcastic or something. It's very difficult. You have to you have to somehow, and that's also, you know, if if post World War II capitalism was schizophrenic. We are in the autistic stage of... Well, for sure, you know,
1: and and it's, I mean, it's something that we've been saying for a long time, but, you know, it it tends to be, you know, are the arts flourish and people recognize their urgent need for the arts during times of real collapse and catastrophe. And that's really what, you know, in a certain way, that's what produced this mode of theater writing anyway, which was, you know, the aftermath of the collapse of Europe, you know, in, in, in World War II, World War I right. and World War II. And it's, I mean, you know, it is, one doesn't want to wish that, but obviously the, you know, the prevailing uh, structures of civic life in the United States are crumbling fast and people don't know really what can happen but you know in a sense history tends to 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 remind us periodically just how <laughs> desperate things can get right and so suddenly when that happens people are asking questions that suddenly uh you know make make artists who are devoted to those questions and asking those questions sort of relevant again but I and one doesn't mean well, I hope that nothing ca- catastrophic happens, and of course it's a crowded planet, and this everything is interconnected, but I mean it is really quite shocking what is what is taking place, and everybody knows it it's surreal, you know of course
0: yeah and and this is this is this is part of the urgency with which I think one should start thinking about <clears throat> creating culture that 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 stops accepting the fact that people are mute about you know the millions of homeless people that surround them in los angeles i mean that's a startling fact right and and yet nobody has developed a grammar a a language to to articulate what that means or or the fear that that generates and and um the culture overall is so extraordinarily afraid. And these are all the things we're talking about, you know, infantilism and fear and anxiety and narcissism. And this is stuff that's largely missing from the stage in, in American theater. I mean, you have, it seems like there is a, and certainly in Hollywood too, there is like either, you know, Hollywood makes massive right-wing, you know, uh, military recruitment films in which, you know, there's planetary apocalypse, or there's the sort of prestige film that gets made in which um, the white bourgeoisie uh, wring their hands and clutch their pearls about virtually nothing, you know, really insignificant. (laughs) Husband and wife have a fight. Oh, my God. Um, it's it's one extreme or the other, and and the the white knuckle terror that I think grips the country in general. I mean, it's something Sam Shepard said right before he died too. Um, that you know, you 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 stop in a bus stop in Oklahoma or somewhere, um, there's terror there. People are terrified sure. for sure. And, and, but nobody's finding the way to put that on the stage somehow. And um, so just to to Well, let me just say, John, if you, you know, if
1: one were to put that on the stage, one would not be greeted. (laughs) No, no. One, one, you know, it's, it's just not where anyone wants to go right now, because, you know, <laughs> life is tough. And, you know, we're barely, uh, you know, this is the thing, of course, is that, uh, you know, it, it's the, it's the panic in the Greek chorus when the, everyone realizes that something is really coming loose and nobody knows what to do about it. This is right. sort of what's, this is the sort of tenor that you see in all, you know, this, this rising anxiety. And, you know, this is what Gerard would call the, a sacrificial crisis. That's what this is. Right, right. I mean, You know, I'm not but a I mean, big. But, but I think that's I'm true. I
0: think, idea, but, you know. Yeah, I think that's literally true. So, I mean, if, if we kind of posited this idea of, at the beginning of, of this dialogue uh, about where does the play begin, I think that question um, is is interesting in light of these realities that, that, that there, there is, I think it was Wittgenstein talked about how hard it was to talk about origins, you know, the beginnings, because once you get to the beginning, there's always a desire to know what came before the beginning. Um, There's always beginnings that go further and further back. And so there's a, there's a, that that a play begins with you know, those birds, or whatever that Pinter line was, or there's you know a dozen great Beckett lines that open plays. Um, <laughs> that those lines are not looking; they're extraordinarily present lines. They're not they're not setting the stage for a certain kind of narrative of.
1: Well, there's something, there's something, there's some, I want to point to, because I want to be optimistic, I want to point to the utopian dimension of that emphasis on origins that, you know, the play claims an origin and everyone collected, everyone in the audience who's there is part of that origin. And it's a tremendously optimistic thing. Here's a, here's the great one, right? This is the beginning of end game. <laughs> It's clove. He says, finished. It's finished. Nearly finished. It must be nearly
0: finished. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the greatest, right? I mean, well, but you know, this is, you know, one of Beckett's, I mean, part of Beckett's it's
1: Right. It, it begins. I mean, I'm sure in some ways I could see, you know, look in some ways, uh, standard of the breed ends with, it's those birds. I mean, in a sense, you know, it begins and ends with that line. You know what I'm saying? Well, and like, part of ripples it, ripples back, back at Jean the is, end
0: is that those subtle shifts in tense and and you know, it's finished. Well, you know, oh, it must finished. be finished. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm certain it's finished <laughs> um, because he's always interrogating. Um, that, those characters are always self-interrogating themselves on some sense they and therefore like, right and they're and interrogating the, the stage later. you know they're interrogating the stage right, right. absolutely you know, and absolutely sense. and and you know this is the thing is that and i think i was having a conversation about this the other day you know that what's very difficult is like it's very hard to write like that it's very hard to blast very hard to be a good writer and it takes years and years and years, and it's, you should always be dissatisfied. But the other problem, of course, is um, is that is that we don't have audiences that understand that stuff. And increasingly, it's hard to find actors who do. I mean, you have to, there are new, there's a new kind of, you know, um, technology of directing that has to, that has to happen. And maybe the, the thing, one of the things that really must take place is, is for directors to start, um, to start hearing those distinctions, hearing those changes. And, and um, it's very, it's
1: very interesting because I, I actually was thinking back because of knowing that I was going to talk to you about this. And I was thinking back about you know, and I know you haven't written a play for a while. It becomes really hard to do when you don't have a context where you don't have an audience. And I know that for me, when I think back on the last 10 years, you know, I started writing, I started thinking that, I started thinking of Heiner Muller and sort of his approach to writing texts that really needed to be completed by directors, you know, and he well, himself, of right. course, being the director, he had in mind. And I, I, um, you know, and I recognize looking back that in some ways I got away from what it is that we're talking about now a little too much and that I, uh, you know, that that that's not really a way forward so much either, at least not for me. So it, this becomes very relevant because I, I, you know, I very much sort of uh, remain for that, I think because of that utopian logic that I'm talking about of you know, the stage is finally this really utopian space, right? Where anything
0: is right. possible. Well, I think I I feel the same way. And I, I have felt that um, my sense that theater was being shut down, that opportunities in theater were doors were being shut. This was, this was maybe 15 years ago um, when I first left the States, maybe longer, almost 20 years ago, because I left in 99. Um, my sense was that, it, this is pointless. This is going to be, you know, humiliating and and hard to be around and will not serve any good purpose. My staying in America serves no purpose. Um, but I also was cognizant that that there were there there were no opportunities anywhere opportunity itself was being shut down and and so that was um something I'm returning to thinking, well, maybe now this is the the first glimmer of, we've, we're all crawling back. <laughs> Just, um, we're crushed and we've reached ground
1: zero. There's a kind of ground yeah, zero. Out of
0: the caves and peeking into the light <laughs> and thinking perhaps amidst all this radioactive, toxic, you know, technology and and hysteria and violence, there is, um, there is the dawn of something um, having to do with that impulse toward the poetic that we want. So we shall see. Um, but I think maybe we should wrap this up for today. Sure. Um, and and uh, hopefully we can do a lot more. Podcasts are so fun. Technology. <laughs> Technology is so fun. Um, yeah, I'm down, so, I'm down. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we should do more and, and hopefully, you know, we've had a good response to the first one and I'm, I'm going to do a upcoming podcast with Chris Rossi. Um, I hope about, about television, sort of about prestige television. I want to talk with Molly Klein about Beller's work about certain films and. um,
1: Yeah. Just let me know. I'd be happy to jump back on.
0: Yeah. And so, and you and I definitely should, should do more because we're just kind of, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of stuff to talk about, um, and getting used to getting used to this technology, for one thing. But yeah, we lost a lot of time today getting that together. Yeah, we're a couple of generations too late for this. But <laughs> yeah, um, true. my mind yeah. does not think um, like in in the terms that the computer people think in. That's for sure. Anyway, thank you, man. All right, and, John. Yeah. Uh, Keep in I touch. will be in touch. Good luck. And, man. Yeah, All right. Hopefully, we'll get this up on the right. aesthetic resistance uh, page and um, we'll talk soon. Talk soon. All right, man. Take care. Okay. Later.
1: Bye.